With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Okay, it's time to have our final Money Talks segment for 2023. It's been really interesting um, traversing the world of money with Farzan Arani, and uh, Farzan has become quite a popular um, contributor to the RCR Breakfast Show and to RCR in general. And he joins us one last time for 2023 from Mumbai, India. Farzan, welcome back. Good morning, Paul. It's great to be back, man. Okay. Uh, what a time it's been. We've had some pretty amazing chats. We've learned a lot. Um, you say you are here uh, with us to help us join the money dots, and I think um, I think you've been right on there. And now we're at the end of 2023. Our first question for you, are we at where you thought we would be at in terms of uh, the world of money at the end of this year? Um, yes, I do, in a way. Uh, to be quite honest, as I mentioned prior, nothing goes up in a straight line or comes down in a straight line. So there's ebbs and flows, and it's a gradual process. And the whole point is, the beauty of it is, uh, people who are listening and who can see the train coming their way, they can adjust and maneuver accordingly. And that's the whole point of it. And the answer to your question is, we've seen... Reserve Bank and Reserve Banks around the world increase interest rates, blaming it on inflation. Why are they doing that? And we've seen a pause from most central banks around the world. So obviously, yes, it's not not a straight line to the moon. Uh, there's ebbs and flows in between, which gives us an opportunity to stop and breathe and then see what comes next. Okay, so let's deal with what's happening in New Zealand right now at the end of the year. And of course, we had the election and uh, here, here we are now. There's a mini budget coming up. The um, GDP contracted 0.3 percent, and um, and things don't feel too good, right? They're not because they're not because they're not good, mate. That's that's huh. the thing, right? Uh, the average person knows uh, when they go to the supermarket or they go out spending, what's really happening in the economy. It's hurting them. It's hurting their pockets. They're not getting pay rises, but everything else seems to be getting more expensive. Um, the part that you mentioned about the mini budget as well, a uh, hundred days of action by this government, mate. It seems like um, it seems like a hundred days of inaction. It just nothing, nothing concrete seems to be coming out of it. People are talking that they haven't paid attention to the preview, uh, which was the previous government's budget and all that kind of stuff. But the surprising thing in there is finally what's come out, and I mentioned on a couple of our radio chats was the recent New Zealand GDP numbers, right? I don't know if people have heard about that. Um, but supposedly, this was a big surprise to the incoming government and even the Treasury, was the economy has contracted by 0.3% in the September uh, quarter. So that's already gone. We, we're now in December. So it's telling us that the GDP and the economy has contracted by 0.3%. But the best part about this, mate, is as I mentioned last year, um, they said we were not in a recession. If you remember Grant Robertson coming out and saying, no, 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 it's not really a recession because we hit a positive number. Yeah. And I had mentioned the fact that most governments around the world will make up data, fudge the numbers, 
And now what's come out is in December 2022, they said we were positive. Sorry, in March 2023, they said we were positive. We were 0.0%, so no growth, no going backwards. And now they've backwardly revised it to minus 0.2. So we were technically in a recession at the start of this year already. Okay, and we've been in that for the whole year. And um, I for the whole year, yes. For the yeah. whole year, other than the June quarter, which they say is a plus 0.5. Woohoo, we should be celebrating one quarter of positive growth. So just in the last day or so, Farzan, it's been announced by the new government that they're looking to take the blowtorch to about $7.5 billion in spending. So that that hasn't taken long. Now, of course not, Matt. As we mentioned before, this government's going to have issues uh, that were left behind by the previous government. And they can only try their best and talk themselves up about how they're going to cut stuff. It's going to be very difficult considering the economy is in a recession and GDP numbers are going backwards. And what we spoke about, the technical recession we've already had at the start of this year, the economy is still shrinking in spite of immigration numbers, like we mentioned before as well. There's 129,000 people coming to the country. And imagine those people have housing and feeding needs and they go out shopping and stuff. In spite of that, the economy is going backwards. So what would have happened if the immigration numbers weren't open? That's that's just a critical kind of thinking we need to understand what's really going on in the economy. And this is not just a New Zealand problem, right? It's, it's globally. And as I mentioned, that's why most of the reserve banks have stopped increasing interest rates because they can see the damage this is doing. But this is only the start of the damage. What about uh, housing and um, and the uh, um, the housing market, domestic housing market, uh, non-commercial property market? What do we know about the state of that as we wind up the year? It's, um, well, they're saying, again, there's different um, industry interests, which will say, oh, we're expecting a slow recovery now. Um most of the bank economists are saying uh, they weren't increasing an official cash rate uh, cut. But I think ASB has come out yesterday and said, uh, the economist at ASB has come out and said, maybe we'll get a interest rate cut mid next year. But talking about the housing market itself, Equifax, which does credit checks. So when you go to a bank to get a home loan or a credit card, you have a credit check being done behind the scenes. There's about two or three companies uh, who do it, and they have all the data. So uh, when 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 a credit check is done behind the scenes, it's not just whether you defaulted or not. If you have a credit card, it also shows whether you make your monthly payments on time and how many payments have you made. So Equifax has come out with a report, which I read recently, and anyone who wants that report can flick, it, uh, flick me an email. I'm happy to send it through. <coughs> it was about arrears building in the economy. And they talk about, obviously, in New Zealand, what's, what started happening is the biggest problem they have on their hands right now is car loan arrears. And as of October 2023, that's 2.5 times what it was October 2019. So there is a 250% jump in people being in arrears on their car loans. And the same phenomenon can be observed in the USA as well for people uh, post-pandemic, when there was shortage of uh, cars coming in and all that kind of stuff, people bought really expensive cars at very low interest rates, mind you. But now they are behind. So they're upside down even on car loans in America. Uh, New Zealand, I'm not sure if they're upside down on the car loans. 
which means again like a home equity they actually have no equity in their car because remember the car is constantly depreciating even though they're making payments on it so they're backwards so in new zealand the car loan arrears have gone up 2.5 times um and the other thing is they've also mentioned in there that they have started noticing elevated stress in hardship volumes in new zealand uh, housing and that's an increase nine months on months right so every month it goes up and up and up so they're finding increased stress in the housing ma- market as well so it's it's not going to be fun times moving ahead it's sometimes reading these little reports and understanding what's in the works yeah and also it's in the news today and zed i don't know if you've caught up with this given that you're um in mumbai at the moment but anz has dropped some of its term deposit and home loan rates in one of the first moves they're reporting here in the Herald, uh, by the major banks. And just so you know, ANZ, it said here, has cut its two-year uh, two year term deposit by 25 basis points to 5.75%, while its four-year term deposit rate drops 15 basis points to 5.3%, and its five-year rate by 25 basis points to 5.2%. The rates uh, changes applied from yesterday. And also... Um, the bank has uh, dropped its two-year fixed-term mortgage rate by 20 basis points to 7.49%, and its three-year fixed-term rate by 14 basis points to 7.35%. And uh, their special mortgage rates will see a 20 basis point cut on the two-year rate to 689 and a 14 basis point cut on its three-year rate to 675 And they're expecting the OCR to drop in August, which is still quite a way off, 2024 so that's the anz does that what does that mean well that as as i just mentioned so obviously they're assuming now that the economy is in a top spot that the reserve bank is now going to hold rates and next year they'll reduce rates as i said so anz saying what what month did you say they think it's going to reduce rates? august august 2024 yeah and asb yesterday said i think it was was it april or may or something so mate these what what are you going to understand the economists are always going to make forecasts they they predict stuff they seem to have this crystal ball because according to them as i said everything's a straight line so now that it's stopped eventually it'll come to a halt and then the interest rates will start going down the one thing i also realized is it, it, it's funny you mentioned these interest rates right there was something i read and and you mentioned because i'm in mumbai do i keep up yes i have to keep up with global news because i have clients from all over the world right but there was a report out there about the federated farmers survey that they do twice a year and this was in new zealand and um, there was a big uptick there's about i've i've just taken a note of this there's 25.8 percent of farmers in new zealand feel that they feel undue and excessive pressure from their banks oh okay and and what they're trying to say is why are we paying more interest rates than someone who owns an urban home? Because the simple thing is, as I mentioned before, bricks and mortar, right? Banks see home loans as the safest bet because they can chuck you on the street, sell the house, and there's going to be un unimaginable number of willing buyers. But for a farm, there's few people who would want to buy a farm. But if you think of it from a uh, productive cash flow perspective, a yep. farm would be a better asset because it actually gives you cash flows. And um, in this Federated Farmer Survey, the other thing I've noted down is only 55.5% were satisfied with their bank currently, farmers. <laughs> okay, well, 
Wow. So what is that? That's that's forty five percent of farmers in New Zealand saying their banks are not treating them fairly. And and to give you an idea, you're talking about the home loan interest rate. So ANZ Bank, as you said, the two year was about six point eight nine. They're going to reduce it to, and the three years about six point seven five. The average interest rate on a farm is up to eight point two six. And this, these are numbers from the survey: eight point two six, and they are from seven point eight four in May twenty twenty three. I just want people to pause for one second. The reason I mentioned these two numbers was the interest rates, when this survey was done, they were saying is the average interest rate is 8.26. Now, in November, it was done up from 7.84 in May 2023. So obviously, the interest rates have gone up by a good 40, 45 basis points, which is 0.45. If you think about it, the Reserve Bank hasn't increased interest rates. No. Yeah. So why has the bank increased interest rates on the farmers? So either, as I mentioned before, there's political pressure because they know they want to phase out the farms, well, with the WEF agenda and all of that stuff, they want to make it harder for them, and the interest rates have gone up. So the price differential between you taking a mortgage against a house in Auckland or Wellington, you're paying 2% more on a farm which is ridiculous if you think about it. So that's what they're complaining about is they feel undue pressure from the banks. Are the banks listening? We leave that to speculation. Okay. Fascinating. Okay, so um, global threats. Um, We now know that, uh, and we've talked about this before, because at the end of the supply chain ultimately is little old New Zealand, Red Sea blockage. So what does... does a constriction or a blockage of the Red Sea. And we've heard that I think uh, Maersk Shipping has suspended operations there and they're one of the biggest players. So clearly there's an issue there. The Houthi rebels are vowing to attack ships. The Americans are talking about, as they always do, the coalition of the willing. Um, I think they're calling their operation Preserve Prosperity. I'm a bit over their names for their operations, by the way. So anyway, it looks like this could be not a short-term issue, but a long-term issue. And the tension in that area is ramping up all the time. So where do you think that could leave us, okay, the global economy, but particularly us, given that that is the origin of a lot of the oil products that the world uses? Well, and that's that's exactly what we mentioned, I think, a couple of months back. So yes, the Suez Canal is the shortest route uh, to get goods um and services flowing through that region. And what I think about three different shipping companies have cancelled those routes. Uh, I was reading something just day before yesterday that ships are now actually, um, well, they, they're standing still. They're waiting to see what is happening. But three of the companies have actually started rerouting their ships around the Cape of Good Hope, which is an extra 10,000 miles, nautical yeah. miles, I well, think. Well, it adds money to the, to the trip. Well, it adds money, but it also adds cost. And they're saying maybe these shipping companies have made a call on this because uh, the whole point of it, if you, if you wait around, firstly, some of these could be perishable goods. The second is the insurance premiums have gone up for these shipping companies because they're going to try and get their ships through a war zone and there's a likelihood of the ship being hit. So sometimes the insurance premium is not worth paying, so you're better off just getting run. Now, in the context of New Zealand that you mentioned, that means we might have shortages, which means, again, we have inflation, whether it's petrol or diesel or whether it's actually uh, meat or fruits or whatever that thing is, which we're expecting all the time. There's going to be empty shelves. 
and we're going to have shortages because it takes longer for something to come around. So we've got to think of it in that spot. And yes, it's the escalation is not going to stop anytime soon. As I mentioned previously, between October last year, well, this year, and October next year, we're going to see a lot of stuff happening, um, which is some of it will be expected and some of it will not be expected. There will be two wars which are escalating, which is Ukraine and Russia, because Russia has elections in May and Putin's going to want to try and put this matter to rest. I think he did a four, four and a half televised speech to the Russian population just uh, this week. Yes, he did. He did a, a massive news conference, something that Joe Biden doesn't seem to be able to muster the energy to do, just saying. No, he's just, he's just hiding, mate. He's watching Netflix and having some popcorn. Um, he never comes out because they've given him a name, Sleepy Joe, for a reason. Anyways, without commenting on presidents. Yeah. Um, but it's that war and the Middle East war. The Middle East war is going to escalate. Uh, so we have to be prepared for that. And as I mentioned, eventually, over the next year, that will escalate. And then we go into World War III because people will have to pick sides. And it's kind of getting uh, to a stage where it will escalate because uh, nobody seems to want to, I don't know, peace is not a word on any leader's mind right now. And as we mentioned, I wish they could go on the front lines and see the devastation they're causing. Yeah, we'll just uh, look at what, what's happened in Ukraine. I mean, half a million, if you believe the figures, have been sacrificed for, it seems, nothing. Uh, in terms of New Zealand, though, if it's uh, petroleum products that um, get very expensive or tight on supply, we are left without a an oil refinery. Yes, yes, for now. I, I don't know if the new government said they look into it. I think... Uh, yeah, but it can't be put together that quickly, can it? Not that quickly, obviously not. But the whole thing is they should start now. If they think there could be escalation of a world war, we need to start getting things going now. Um, yeah, I, I don't... Politics is not something I want to comment on too much because as I mentioned... Yeah, but, but uh, mishandling a strategic asset for the country is... is. Um, I mean, you, you wouldn't do that in business. You, why would you do that um, at a country level and take away one of the, um, I guess, most uh, important uh, resilience um, pieces of infrastructure that you could ever have. If you, as we, as you mentioned, there's one of two things, either you're stupid and you can't see the consequence of the future or either it's nefarious. Right. I'll let the audience decide which one it could be. But again, it, as you said, it's a strategic asset. It's like I'm a family head and I have to make a decision for my family. I'm either stupid and I can't see the consequences of my decisions on my wife and my kids, or I'm doing it on purpose. One of the two things, right? It can't be, it, 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 there's pretty obvious stuff. So a prime minister or president is the head of the family of a country, so to speak. We have elected these officials to make decisions on our behalf, but it just seems in the last three years that most decisions seem to be contradictory to uh, the citizenry's benefit. And, yeah, I'll just leave it at that, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, I would go so far as to say that's economic vandalism. But anyway, that's just me. All right. Um, the yen has plunged. Does that mean anything for us? Um, the yen has plunged because, as I mentioned, there's a price differential. They're the only country still in negative interest rates. Their Reserve Bank owns about 100% of their government bonds because nobody willingly would buy JGBs, we call them, Japanese government bonds, 
at a negative view. Why would I give a government my money if I'm actually losing money? So if you look at it in New Zealand, as I mentioned, the official cash rate is 5.5%. If I bought New Zealand government bonds, I'd get something in the range of 5 to 6% on my money. Australia a little lower, America even higher. So you take the currency risk into account and you also take the price differential. And in Japan, what do I get for it? Nothing, negative yields. So the Reserve Bank of Japan is pretty much the only one buying the government bonds, which means the currency then suffers. That is what's happening. And, and it's only going to go lower and lower. And they only came out, I think, yesterday or day for yesterday, where he said, oh, we're just going to wait and watch because there's nothing he can do. The minute he increases interest rates, then be big trouble. The Japanese currency will strengthen, but the bonds are going to start selling off. So the only one buying government bonds right now in Japan is the Reserve Bank. Is that Does that mean that the, the, the um, debt is only to Japan itself and not so much an external debt? Have I got that wrong? Or are they also in debt to everyone else as well? No, no, Japan is different. And this is the big difference where... Some people say that, look, America can keep doing what they're doing because Japan's uh, uh, America debt to GDP uh, last night I checked was, again, 126% uh, of debt to GDP. And they, that number, remember, we keep talking about U.S. debt clock. It's almost at $34 trillion now, 33.9 something. So it'll be over $34 trillion in a day or two. So if they're at $34 trillion, 126% of debt to GDP. Japan sitting at about, I think, 230% debt to GDP. So people have said, hey, listen, there's no issues here because with the global reserve currency, Japan's reached 230 and see there's no problems. The difference is Japan is a creditor nation. Most of their population saves. America owes uh, money in different, different, different places. And they promise their citizenry, Medicaid and uh, social security and all that stuff. Mm. So if you go to US debt log and you go to the bottom, there's about 212 or something trillion of all these things outstanding or 45 trillion. Don't, don't, don't uh, quote me on that exactly, but go to the right hand corner and you'll see those numbers. So what happens is if the U.S. keeps doing this, there's a lot of U.S. dollars outside circulating in the global economy. People hold on to U.S. dollars, especially in countries like Argentina, Zimbabwe, Venezuela. If America keeps doing this, all those U.S. dollars start coming, rushing back to the U.S., and that causes hyperinflation in their own country. Right. Because you don't need those U.S. dollars. Japan central bank can just cancel the debt against its own government and no one's none the wiser because it's just sitting on both of their balance sheets but as i said nobody no external um investors are giving the japanese government money so the central bank has to keep buying all the debt they're issuing to spend into the economy and that's the only way they can get money and this is banana republic stuff right we've started we've started seeing this happening in the u.s now Wow. Okay. Um, BlackRock has come on the radar of New Zealanders, well, many New Zealanders, a while ago, and particularly when we had that uh, that video of our former Prime Minister walking out the front door of BlackRock in New York, and maybe we can work out what, what might have been going on there. Recently, the last uh, or previous government announced a, a kind of a an association with uh, BlackRock I think it was on uh, renewable or, or decarbonizing energy uh, generation in this country, a fund of a couple of billion. I don't know where that sits now. But anyway, BlackRock and um, 
Vanguard and what is it, City Street or, or whatever. They're the, they're the biggies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. And I see now that um, that BlackRock is uh, facing some kind of consumer protection lawsuit in Tennessee. Is this like um, – well, no. Sorry, I won't. I won't try and guess. Tell us what this is about. Yeah, so, as we discussed uh, last year, some of these big companies that are technically looking after our money and investing on our behalf are the ones controlling society based on how they get to vote because they own a lot of shares of these companies, like your Pepsi's, your Netflix's, your Amazon's, and all of that. And the Tennessee, uh, Tennessee is one of the states that has slapped BlackRock with first of its kind, a consumer protection lawsuit over this ESG scam. And they call it an ESG scam because as we know, they talk about ESG all the time, but companies like BlackRock, State Street and Vanguard are the ones who are using this ESG to kind of manipulate our social behaviors. And they have to, they're forcing companies is to comply to this Build Back Better agenda. So as we said, WEF has an agenda. They want to take us to 2030. How do you get companies to go woke and have socialist policies? Well, these companies like BlackRock and um, these guys invest so much of the proxy vote. So they have a proxy vote on based on on, on, uh, on behalf of the investors. If people have invested in companies, they know what a proxy vote is. So because these guys own so many shares and they have such a big saying in how the board meetings go or how the uh, AGMs go, they can actually make a company pivot and go somewhere else. And we saw that in the case of the Disney's uh, and Target and even one of the companies that did the Budweiser ads. Yep, they got into yep. trouble and they said there's a saying out there, right? Go woke, go broke. Yeah. So these companies have realized that they don't need to bring it up. They just don't need to bring it up. But it's not just Tennessee. Um, I read something three days back where uh, in the U.S., the House Judiciary Committee has also issued subpoenas to BlackRock and State Street. Vanguard was not in this, but to BlackRock and State Street because they asked for some information and these guys weren't forthcoming. So what they did was issued subpoenas, which means it becomes a big legal matter now. It's all FBI and all of that stuff. And it's on the same thing. It's the promotion of the ESG goals. And the conversation is that a company like BlackRock or State Street, their responsibility is to their shareholders and not to play out a social agenda. So they're violating, well, they're violating, they're using this antitrust law because they're violating the fiduciary duty to their investors and trying to run an, a, a, a parallel agenda, which is Build Back Better. So... This is going to start getting interesting, and I can tell you, I don't think most New Zealand or Australian people would have investments in BlackRock, but watch watch the liquidity concerns because BlackRock is so big. Remember, there's a saying out there, the bigger you are, the harder they fall. Yeah. Watch 2024 and 2025 and see what happens to BlackRock. And something on that topic also the other day, I think about three days back, I was at a wedding and I was talking to one of the leading heart surgeons in um, Mumbai, and he said, oh, yeah, lots of people get, and he's a heart surgeon, so obviously he's getting richer. But he said there's a lot of heart attacks and stuff happening and strokes and this and that. And he said it's since COVID. I said, oh, is it because of COVID, or do you think it's maybe after the fact of what happened after that or what the government response is what? He just smiled at me and nodded his head, right? And I told him Pfizer was being sued by, I can't remember the exact state, but there's a lawsuit started against uh, Texas. Pfizer. 
Texas, yeah. Was it Texas? Yeah, there was a few billion dollars and he'd heard about this. And this is one of the leading heart surgeons in Mumbai. I would tell people to go and just Google the price, the share price of Pfizer and Moderna and see what has happened over the last two years. So if you know what's coming, you can position a shorter stock as well for the smart investor. I'm not asking the average person to go out and do that. But this is all playing out, but we just don't hear it in the media, right? So BlackRock and State Street are going to start getting into trouble. A lot of the states, uh, especially the red-leaning states, have already taken their money off BlackRock. And that's why Larry Fink came and said, oh, this ESG thing has now become political and stuff. Yeah, he did say that. that and this is why, right? Yeah, if you start losing money, if you start bleeding money, you're in trouble, mate. So you've got to understand that. And he's probably realized I shouldn't have said some of the st stuff out loud, like, oh, we can get companies and countries to direct their energies accordingly because that's what we should do. It is not his job to tell countries and companies how they should operate. There's a board of directors whose job is to make profits for the shareholders. And if you hear the WEF agenda, it is stakeholders, right? It's not shareholders, it's stakeholders. Yeah, stakeholder capital. Yep. puppet everyone around for their agenda, and they're using BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard to kind of get their agenda going by removing funding from these organizations if they don't listen to the woke agenda. So do you think um, that's a sign that uh, environmental, social, and governance ESG investing has peaked and had its day? Because that would be a good thing, wouldn't it? Well, it hasn't. It hasn't peaked, mate. This is this is what I get frustrated with. All of this is people are waking up, but what we call so-called leaders or the elected officials still go to a COP twenty-eight meeting, which was held in Dubai, I think it was, or Qatar, just earlier, uh, about a month back, and they still make all these commitments to drive countries into the ground by cutting off fossil fuels, and they think electricity is going to run the show. The if we know the green bonds also are suffering. People know that it's a money losing investment, uh, but they still carry on. They still carry on because they have an agenda. If if I told you you're going to make a loss by going green, and you're going to make a profit if you just continue with fossil fuels, you'd say I want to make a profit and still give my country the reliance of uh, power and electricity and gas and all of that. But our leaders are going okay. We don't need a profit. We're going to drive our economies into the ground because remember, they have to build back better means they have to destroy our way of living to get us to accept their hubris. But the problem, as I said, is a lot of humanity is waking up. Mate. There's a lot of documentaries out there. There's a lot of movies out there. There's a lot of people losing family members. Um, and it's starting to get interesting where people are saying, what changed? What, what's going on? Why is the government doing this? It doesn't make sense, but they're still doing it. So... As I said, it has to be a nefarious agenda or they're just brain-dead stupid. And um, I'm sure it was <laughs> the former finance minister and the former prime minister, um, Hipkins, whatever portfolio he held at the time, wasn't too long ago, that they were saying we needed to build back better. So no coincidence them using that term, I take it, in your mind. No, and during COVID, you saw a lot of billboards in front of all the prime ministers, whether they were on the lectern they were standing on or billboards behind them. They all said build, build back better, whether it was in the UK with Johnson or whether it was our prime minister, whether it was uh, the US president, they all had build back better. I think it was Prince Charles. 
there was someone else. I, I can't remember all the name on the top of my head right now, but it's a global agenda. So they're all on board and they have to say that. Um, it's it's just coordinated from behind the scenes. These, these people are idiots. Uh, as I mentioned, governments have to uh, collapse, which means they're going to uh, default on their debt. What they just don't realize, as I said, the financial system we've known for the last 80 years is coming to its natural end. It was coming in 2008-2009. Uh, they filled the patches with some little bits, bought themselves time to get the CBDC agenda going. And now that they kind of almost have it in place, they know the system's falling apart. So what they can do, when the system falls apart and the average citizen around the world loses it, their superannuation or their savings for life, they go with pitchforks to the government that forced them to have a Kiwi saver. Remember, it's compulsory. You can opt out, but the government gets to decide that it's be, it's to be put into a Kiwi saver. And then there's these big funds that get to decide how to invest it, which is technically them investing in government bonds. So the government kind of indirectly opened a line for funding their own expenditure by your savings. All right. So you just got to understand how this game works. And if the system is collapsing, do they lose power or do they get power? So they had one of two options. They're going to lose all power when the system collapses because the average citizen goes, you screwed me over. And But if they have CBDCs in place before that, they can get more power upon us. And as I said, the social credit so score along with CBDC is what they're hoping for. And it could, I, I, I am saying this now on the radio, it could pretty much be launched next year. Okay, because I was going to ask you to, to wind up on uh, next year. But just in, in you saying that, I'm thinking we've had a change of government now. And uh, we haven't spoken to, well, on this program anyway, recently to David Seymour. So I don't know really what he's thinking. Of course, Christopher Luxon um, hasn't come on our program. Maybe he should have. Maybe he could have picked up more votes if he did. Um, Winston Peters and Shane Jones certainly have. And, and they are two points up on election day. So talking to RCR gets you somewhere just saying, but they seem to be back to basics. We are going to, we're going back to oil and gas exploration. We're going to look for minerals on land again on, on New Zealand land where we can and mining will start up again. So do you think, I mean, is does that push back against those other agendas in any sort of meaningful way or because we're so small, we're, you know, the train just rolls over us as well. How do you see that? I think I think it's a good start to talk about it. But I say, mate, politicians' talk is free. Action is what matters, right? Right. Um, so I can say when I come in, for the as I just said, for the first 100 days, we're going to do this, this, this. But what significant impact does it have? Governments are used to having committees and more discussions about discussions about discussions. Let's get stuff done. If you're saying you're going to but it shouldn't be that hard. It might take you 30 days, concentrate on just signing it off, so then you can focus on the next thing. But hey, procrastination seems to be something that politicians do a lot, and sometimes they're paid to just sit on their hands. Talk is free, as I said. Nothing, it doesn't cost a thing, but taking action costs, right? So um, it's 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 just when a new government comes in, and I had clearly mentioned even before the elections, it was bound to happen, because you can see the social mood in a country change which means the powers that be have to have a swing a certain way so people get some kind of hope that things will change 
things will change in word. Uh, the general direction of the countries don't change. This is not a New Zealand or Australian thing. This is a global thing. Most countries are being taken in a certain direction. At some point, they will split. The Western way will split and the Eastern way will split when it comes to war, essentially. And it's funny you mentioned about the new prime minister coming on board, but I was reading something where in Canada, there was a recent research where people are so sick and tired of Justin Trudeau that seven out of 10 uh, Canadians think that he should resign. All right. So 70% of Canadians think he should resign. Yeah. But 60% of them, when asked the same question, think he will not resign, which tells you the Canadian people know that he should resign, but he's still not going to do it because he's got an agenda to run and he ain't going out till he's done the damage he needs to do. Remember, it's build back better. For building something, you have to break something down first. And even if he decides to leave, the deputy prime minister, is, uh, minister in Canada is Christia Freeland. Let me remind people, she's a board of trustees on the World Economic Forum. Another and one. Yeah. Yes, and she is the one who froze the truckers' bank accounts. Oh, crikey. Oh. So there's, yeah. And wasn't the father <laughs> or grandfather a Nazi? It was, but the good thing, mate, with what Canada did was, well, well, I say a good thing from our perspective is it showed the world beforehand what they can do when governments want to get nasty, right? Because they can't take criticism and people in Western democracies know that they have a right to protest peacefully. But uh, freezing bank accounts, and it did get nasty. Even if you contributed $50 to a trucker, your bank account was frozen. So people have now seen... And people are talking about this openly in any podcast, any radio and YouTube videos and all of that. They showed us one of their hands. And now if you have a CBDC, you've just got to think, now it's not a bank account. It's a digital currency. They can switch you off any time. Yeah, so I've already shown that they'll do that. Yeah, yeah. CBDC is essentially intended to control our social behaviors, mate, and turn society into a digital prison, so to speak. That's what they're trying. And they will, as I said, no, no person's going to be able to escape it. The point is, if you can get most of your wealth out of their financial system so it doesn't get trapped in their CBDC rubbish, get it out into different mechanisms and then just play along. Play along as it doesn't mean you have to sit and take a vaccine. What I'm saying is play along is, yeah, everyone's going to have to live with the CBDC. And then eventually, when 50, 60, 70% of the population sees that every single day the government tells them, you can't eat this, you have to eat bugs, uh, I can't yeah. put on the German accent like uh, the WEF uh, guy, but you will eat bugs. Yeah, bugs. Uh, so we have penetrated yeah. the cabinet. Yeah, penetrated the cabinets. They've yeah. they've they've realized they shouldn't have told us all of this because they thought their agenda would be progress faster. Um, but now they've come out and told us everything. And now, if you go to the WEF website, a lot of the information is not there. They're very oh, careful. Okay, they're taking it down, right? They, yeah. they, well, they try and hide a lot of it. They can't take back what's already out into the universe or the cloud, as you say. But they, they, they kind of have realized they shouldn't have said all of this. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting times ahead, mate. Um, what, what I'd probably say, some of these things are too big for the average person. So the whole point is, as I mentioned, get yourself out of the way of the maximum damage that can be done. If yep. you're in their financial system, stay away from it. Somebody texted me this morning from New Zealand, and supposedly that deposit guarantee scheme has been pushed out. Uh, oh, okay. I haven't read yeah, that. Yeah. I haven't read that report. 
uh, and uh, the person said uh, they're expecting it in mid-2025 now, not 2024. So, oh, okay. again, I'd like to remind people, if you think just having all your money in a bank deposit and a term deposit in a bank, uh, think again. And even if you think it's sitting there, and even if there's a government guarantee on a certain amount, I mentioned securities and I mentioned derivatives. Hmm. Just don't lose it all. Don't lose all your savings and your hard-earned money. Okay, well, we're up against time to finish up. Do you want to make uh, any sort of, I suppose, forecast prediction? I mean, I don't want to lock you into um, <laughs> having to admit uh, or, or um, change the story later or, or whatever, but I'm sure you have a sort of like a gut feel. How do you think um, – okay, I'll tell you what my feel is for next year, and I don't know too much about economics, but I just have a feeling – that 2024 will be more turbulent and choppy than 2023. That's my gut feeling. But what do I know? What do you think? I totally agree. We could have even said, ask the audience or 50-50 call and the answer would yeah. still be yes. Yeah. Um, the, the, the common sense thing to think is this is a roll-on effect, as I've said. If 2023 was what we're feeling in New Zealand, uh, three quarters of negative growth out of the four, um, what do you think happens next? Nothing's changed. Interest rates have gone on pause and we still had a negative quarter. So what I'm asking people to think through, don't read the rubbish saying, oh, because interest rates have stopped rising and now the Reserve Bank will reduce it, house prices will go up, go up again. Don't jump on the FOMO wagon. Just use your common sense and think, what has changed? Do I feel better or is the mood, social mood outside more depressing anyways? Even if it's summer, you might feel a bit better. With getting some skin on your skin, uh, sorry, some sun on your skin. Yeah, vitamin D. Yep. Yes. Just think about what has changed. Has the world gotten worse with what we think about people getting injured through the COVID vaccines? Or is there two global front wars going on now? Uh, are interest rates going up? Are people in more mortgage stress? Does this get better or does this get worse? For the short term, there will be a bit of a sugar hit because the Reserve Bank of New Zealand has gone on pause. Most Reserve Banks have gone on pause because they're pretty much wipe out their governments if they don't, right? But what I'm asking you to do is when war escalates, and it will next year, doesn't mean it will escalate on the 1st of January. What I'm trying to tell right. people is when we tell you stuff, doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. But the trend is in that direction. So the trend is more war, which means inflation gets higher. And if the Reserve Banks have already told you, they can only increase interest rates. They only have two levers, create more money, or increase and decrease interest rates. They only have two levers. So they increase interest rates, they put it on pause. There will be a small pause. People talk about interest rates coming down. There might be a one drop, but the minute the inflation returns, and this happened in the 80s, so just look again at the 70s and 80s. They, the Reserve Bank in the Federal Reserve thought they had captured or conquered, as they say, in the inflation beast, and then it came back with its roaring head when inflation was that high that the Federal Reserve had to increase interest rates for about 18% in America. So just keep that in mind before you go out and buy your next house, <laughs> thinking that's the best bet, okay? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I would just say, no, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But there will be pockets where there'll be good things. Um, don't sit back and be depressed about it all. Reduce your debt. Get some of your money out of the financial system. If people want to get in touch, I'm when I say I'm on holiday, yes, I'm just not in New Zealand. I still have clients uh, touching base with me. We talk and all that kind of stuff. So people still want to talk. I'm happy to do that. And next year, once we settle into things, then I, as I said, I'll try and do some roadshows. 
I want to do an event where there might be a paid event and people come and I'll run people through certain few things that they don't hear on the yep. radio either. Now that sounds good. And uh, you'll be back here from early February next year. And maybe um, there's even been some talk about doing a specific money show next year. We'll see how that goes. But uh, it's been great um, catching up with you every um, Thursday for, well, a lot of the year, Farzan. So we really appreciate your contribution to our program, to Reality Check Radio. Um, our listeners, they love you. <laughs> so that's great. And um, I look forward to um, talking with you again when you're back in the country. Have a great rest of the stay in uh, in India. I hope it uh, goes well. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up again in early, um, it'll be February, early 2024. Yeah, that's when uh, Asia comes back on. So I'd just like to thank you, Paul, for hosting such a great show, mate. Uh, always asking the right questions, giving me space to talk, uh, and people who run Asia and the support and stuff, uh, and most importantly to uh, our listeners, because um, I know uh, the producer of the show sends me feedback, which I most appreciate. Sometimes we can answer some of the questions, sometimes we can't. But I appreciate the time, and hopefully I'm adding value to people's lives. As I said, this is a service I'm doing just to help people. This is what we all have to do is step up now for the next three or four years, five years, to create a community where we can help each other out because there is light at the end of the tunnel. So thanks again to RCI and the listeners. I most appreciate it. And, yeah, as you said, we're back on Money Talks next year, so I'll be happy to come back on and contribute again, mate. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So connect with us today.